Okay. <clears throat> We're finishing up the previous uh, texts. So, oh, Nancy, do you have those? I guess oh. both. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Both. Um, okay. So that's it. So we're on the section uh, considering the Trinity and Christ. So so far we've covered Holy Scripture, what the Bible says of itself, the efficacy of the Word, that is uh, the the strength and the power of the Word of God alone. And then law and gospel and why the gospel, that, that there is a distinction and then also that the gospel predominates. Uh, why is it that the gospel trumps the law when it comes to salvation, not the law that trumps the gospel? Well, it's because of that text I showed you, Second uh, Corinthians 3, uh, 4 through 11. Uh, this is the greater and more glorious uh, ministry. There's the ministry of death, which is the letter, but the, the spirit gives life and it's the ministry of the spirit. Um, Do you want me to pass the ones out? Oh, sure. I think, I don't know if I have them right here, but that's the old ones. Um, Okay, that's the new one. This is finishing up for last time. Okay. So... So the text we were considering, uh, so, so then we covered Long Gospel, and then we uh, covered the Holy Trinity, and showing uh, that the Scriptures do indeed speak of God being triune and, um, yeah, be, being uh, plural and singular, triune, uh, three in one, and that this comes about all, throughout all of the Scriptures. And I gave you the top three texts. The first one was Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Uh, that's the number one text you would go to. The second text is Isaiah 6, 3. And finally, the very first verse of Scripture, Genesis 1, 1. Um, and we went through those texts. This, these are very, very important for you to have in mind. Just record it in your memory if you can. Uh, because when the Jehovah's Witnesses and um, Mormons will speak to you, uh, even the Jews, they, this is the hang-up. Uh, on the Holy Trinity, and they deny the Holy Trinity. They deny that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet not three gods, but one God, three persons, one God, one essence. Uh, And that God is not, uh, the Father is not greater than the Son or the Holy Spirit, but co-equal, co-majestic, co-eternal, so on and so forth. Uh, Something to help you with that is to look at the creeds. The Apostles' Creed is going to be helpful. The more helpful one is going to be the Nicene Creed, and the most helpful one is going to be the Athanasian Creed. And that's going to lay it out clearly what it is. Uh, by the way, the creeds are not explanations of the Trinity. They are confessions of the Trinity. It's not explaining who God is. It's just confessing who he is. So you'll realize that after you read the Athanasian Creed, we end up uh, at the same point we started, which is this is a mystery. Uh, that God is uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet... Um, not above or beneath or before or after, but of the same essence. So these texts are very, very important. By the way, the Holy Trinity is the, uh, is the thing that makes a belief system or body of doctrine Christian or not. So the definition of a cult is anything that denies the Holy Trinity. 
That's the actual definition of a cult. So the, the Christian definition there. So if anyone denies the Trinity, then they are not worshiping the same God. If you have the same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet uh, one God, then you are a Christian. And then that would be the dividing line between a different religion and a different denomination. Right? Different religions deny the Holy Trinity. Uh, different denominations, uh, we're, we're, we're all the same Christians, uh, sorry, we're all in the same religion with other Christians. We're, that's the Christian religion, which is under the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there are differences in doctrine uh, within that. And false doctrine is serious, and we, we, we talk about that. But um, you can't be a Christian if you deny the Trinity, is the point. It's impossible. Um, yeah, Mitch. So, Pastor, if, uh, if the creeds are pro- professing the Trinity, if there's a, a religion, I mean, like uh, the, was the disciples of Christ or whatever, are against the creeds, are they against the Trinity then? Is yeah. That, no. That, that's, that's a really good question. Yeah, you'll find some denominations that will say things like deeds, not creeds, right? Which itself is a creed. It's a statement of faith. Um, it's just a bad one. Uh, it's a very simple and bad one. But um, you'll have some that'll deny uh, the, the creeds, and they say, well, we're not saying it in church because it sounds cultish or whatever. or sounds like a cult. Um, they're being inconsistent, really. And it's, they're not denying that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have a hang-up with reciting things together at once. So their real hang-up is that. And what they think is that everything should be extemporaneous, ex corde from the heart. So that if you're in church, you just kind of, you know, let it flow out of you emotionally. And that's true and genuine thing. So they don't recite prayers for the same reason. They don't recite creeds. So, yeah. So there are denominations that are, they're just being foolish when they don't say the creed. But this is something I figured out. When I talk to uh, people who, who say, no, we don't say the creeds in our church. I say, okay, um, but... Is there anything in the creed that's wrong? So then we go through line by line. I'm like, okay, God the Father, he made heaven and earth. Is that wrong? No, that's right. That's right. All the way through. They get through and they say, yep. <laughs> that, that's, all, that's all. And then I say, well, will you say it in church? Will you say it with us? No. <laughs> like, okay, so you agree with it, but you just have this weird hang up on, on that. So anyway, that's, so no. The, you, you really have to ask them, well, Why? Why? Why are you denying the creed? Is it because you're denying the doctrine, the teaching, or you're just denying the form uh, of, of what it is? Most of the time, Christians are denying the form. But if, if someone does deny the creed itself, then that's the problem. Now, the, the, the Nicene Creed is very specific, and it's responding to a specific heresy. What was it? Arian. Arianism, yes. Uh, Arius taught, he had this he said there was a time when the sun was not s-o-n when the sun was not meaning that the sun is a creature of the father that the father created the sun uh, where do we find this teaching today yeah that's one uh, but more uh, specifically with, the, with Arianism is the Jehovah's Witnesses so they would say that uh, very, very long ago, it's, he's the first creature of God, but he's not God. 
He's very, very powerful, very divine, but he's not God himself. Once you do that, once the Son is now apart from the Father, then um, what you have is a different God altogether. Uh, then you have multiple gods, which leads to the next point. Yeah. Ron. So the great courses is a series of college-level, maybe even graduate-level courses, depending on which one you get. But there's one that was very disturbing, and I thought, well, maybe I could learn what they're talking about, but then I kind of be wasting my time. But it's called How Jesus Became God. I've heard of that. So over the years, they decided, they made the decision that uh, Jesus should be God, and they decided when it happened, and I think we talked about it before. Well, um, is that his uh, circumcision, or his uh, presenting at the temple, then he became God, and then when he died on the cross, then his God was taken away, something like that. Amazing. Weird ideas and stuff. But yep. Somehow... They wanted to present him that way, and it was kind of like they're figuring out a scam. It sounded right. One of one of the issues here is that you'll get people trying instead of uh, confessing the Holy Trinity, they try to explain the Holy Trinity. And a lot of Christians do this. They're they're well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians, but they're doing a disservice to God and to the church by doing that. So you'll hear like, I don't know, people say that God is like an apple and the Father is the core of the apple, the Son is like the meat of the apple, and the Holy Spirit is like the, the flesh of the apple. Or that God is like um, the Son and that the, 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 the big part of the Son, the Mass, is the Father, uh, the light is the Son, and the heat is the Holy Spirit, right? Um, or that he's like a three-leaf clover, things like this. Uh, all, all of those things are trying to explain God, and they all fall short. And they introduce heresies, actual heresies into the church, and you, you get these problems. Um, if, so in order for the analogy for God to be sun, or like water, that he's uh, ice, steam, and, and uh, liquid... In order for that analogy to be true, it would have to be the same amount of water that's all three states at one moment, which then now you confound me, right? That doesn't make any sense. And now we're back to the mystery. So instead of doing that, just say that from the get-go, that, it, that it's a mystery. Um, there's a, a good friend of mine, Pastor Hans Feeney, who uh, I think is his most successful and widely viewed um, video on Lutheran satire. It's on Donald and Connell meet St. Patrick, and uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, they're, they're trying to understand the Trinity, and he starts going through all of these things, and they're all, of these, all of these analogies, and they end up being modalism, where God is different modes, or that God is different parts, or that he's a third God, third God, third God, and together makes one God. Again, no matter how you try to explain it, you're going to fall short, and you're actually going to ruin it. Uh, so the best thing to do is to simply confess the creeds. And, and people always bring it up and say, well, how do we teach children? Well, teach children in the same way you teach the adults. Just tell them it's a mystery. The, the Holy Trinity is not someone we explore. Uh, we simply adore the Holy Trinity. And we say, well, this is who God revealed himself to be. It's beyond imagination. 
and, uh, and that's my confession, right? So one of the things that people then do, uh, this trickles down. Your view of the Trinity also affects your view of the Son. And then you have to come up with all of these things. Well, how is the Son God? And how is he dying on the cross? How is he suffering and bleeding? Uh, 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 how is he praying to the Father? Things like this. So, again, these two are going to go together really well. The first three on Holy Scripture, the efficacy of the Word and Long Gospel, those three will go together very well. So if you get into debates about the, the nature of Scripture, those texts are going to help you. When it comes... He, he does. So we have two texts to look at. Um, one is the disciples are asking him, when will these things be? This is his final discourse with the disciples. He says, the end of the world is coming. They say, when will this be? And he says, well, neither uh, the angels nor, nor the Son of Man himself knows, but only the Father. He says that then. This is his state of humiliation before his crucifixion. When he as, uh, um, uh, before he ascends... Uh, go to Acts chapter 1 or 2. He's talking to his disciples, and they ask him again, now will you restore the kingdom to this? Uh, and, and when is this going to happen? And then he says what? His words change. He doesn't say, I don't know. For you. Yes. So he changes what he says. He says, now it's not for you to know. He doesn't say, I no longer don't know. It says, it's no longer for you. It's not for you to know. I know. I know what the Father has set, but you don't know it, right? So this is the difference, and I've talked about this before, the, the different states of Christ's life. There's a state of humiliation when Christ denies himself the majesty uh, due his name. Even though he has that majesty, he has all divinity and power, he is still God. He denies it to himself. He refrains from the use of his divinity, and then at the state of exaltation, he no longer needs to humble himself to, be the, to take on the form of a servant. So that what he didn't know in his humiliation, now in his exaltation, he knows. So he said, I don't know when the end of the world is to his disciples. Now he says, well, you guys don't know, but I know. <laughs> right? So it's, it's like uh, this, this, the service, the reason for which he came and humbled himself is now over. Which means, and this is a really fascinating thing. I can go on and on about this. But there's a big book called The Two Natures of Christ by Martin Chemnitz. It's amazing. And we're talking about how Christ is both God, fully God and fully man. And this is another set of heresies that you get into when you start to mix them or say that God is half God or Jesus is half God, half man. Uh, I've covered this in the... Um, uh, the adult instruction class over the summer, if you want to hear more about it. But the point is, um, we, we have to understand the two natures of Christ, that they remain. That uh, there is a time in Jesus' earthly ministry, in his body here, that he didn't know things. And he had, to, well, what does that text in Luke say? I think it's Luke 2, that he grew in wisdom and in stature. How do you grow in something if you already know it, right? The point is, well, he didn't know it. He actually grew to learn the scriptures. Even though he's the author of the scriptures, yet as a man, he grows to learn the scriptures. 
This is amazing. That at one point, Jesus, God, had to learn how to tie his shoe or, or strap his sandal. Mary had to teach God how to do this. That he had to have math homework and he didn't get the answers right. It's, it's not a sin to, to not know math. <laughs> or to, well, not according to my teacher, yeah. Uh, uh, so, so it's like, but, but it, it's not sinful to not know something, right? Uh, omniscience isn't, like, it, it's not a sin to not be omniscient, right? We can, we can not know things and still not be uh, sinning. So there, there's a moment there that Christ is growing in this wisdom and stature and having more abilities and, and things. And yet at the same time, he is God. Right? This is a, a, it, it's amazing. It's such a, a beautiful sort of thing we see. But what I want to get to is this, is that when you deny the Holy Trinity, you're, usually it's coming down to denying who Christ is. And you get to Christ, and then you start to explain Christ away, and then you start to say, well, how do we account for these things? How do we say that he doesn't know something? How does he grow in wisdom? Well, he must not be God, because God is wisdom. He knows all things. So how is that happening? How is it that Jesus is weeping and sweating drops of blood? That doesn't sound like something God does. How is he hungry? How is he tempted? And what they do then, uh, what people do is, is then they would say, well, he's, um, uh, there's a number of heresies. Again, I've covered this over the summer, but uh, one of them is called docetism. It's from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. And they say, well, Jesus isn't really hungry. He just appears hungry. <laughs> or he didn't really die. He just appeared to die. He's like a hologram or something. Uh, others will say um, uh, that he's not fully God. Uh, or that he's not fully man, and all these things. What I want to show you with these texts is that the scriptures say very clearly that Jesus is God, and that Christ himself claimed to be God. Uh, this text that we see before us, <clears throat> so I just want to start with this one. John ten thirty. This is Jesus talking about the good shepherd. Uh, verse 22, just to give you the context here. He says, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So uh, if, if he's doing things that are divine, then what does that tell you about Christ, that he is then divine, so, so that the very works he's doing. And if he's forgiving sins, then what is it saying? Only God can forgive sins. That's the point. Yes, I am God. I, only I can forgive sins. That, this is what he's saying. But you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Who, who, has the, who, who can give eternal life? God. So when he says, I give them eternal life, what is he saying? I am God. Uh, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. The word there, perish, is not just dying. Uh, it is to be damned. It's damnation. Um, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. 
I and the Father are one. So, so this is remarkable. This is beautiful. So he says, they are in my hand. I give them eternal life. Well, the Father, they're in the Father's hand. Nobody can snatch them from his hand. Nobody can snatch them from my hand. Well, guess what? We have the same hand. I and the Father are one. The, the point here is that Jesus doesn't say, I and my Father have the same, uh, are of one purpose or of one will or of one desire. We are numerically one in essence. Uh, this, is, this is the point. Yes, Rob. So I got into a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness that thought she was making great progress with me. And that was one of her points. She said, well, Jesus so identified with the Father that they had the same idea, the same will. It doesn't mean that they were the same God. Yeah. And then he said, well, show, show, me, show me where it says that. <laughs> and then you go to the verse and then they said, well... That, that's what it means, we're one in purpose, or will. You say, well, you added that. Like, I could, I could add something there. But the sentence stops right there. I and the Father, two separate things. And he says, we are one. Uh, and, then, and then he continues here. Now, do you think that's what Jesus was claiming? Like, do you think people got it when they heard those words that they said, uh, yeah, that's a pretty big claim. How could you say that? Do you think they, they, they did in fact, the very next verse tells us that they completely understood what Jesus was saying when he said that. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Je- Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father for which, of them, uh, for which of them are you going to stone me? So they can't even accuse him of sin, of doing anything wrong. And the Jews answered him, it is not uh, for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. And what is blasphemy? For claiming to be God. Uh, because you being a man, make yourself God. So th- this idea, like I remember when I was in the university and um, th- there were a lot of uh, uh, scoffers and New Testament scholars and people there. And they said, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. That is the most absurd claim ever. I mean, it's it's all throughout the scriptures. When he, and here is one very, very clear text to say, um, if you keep reading, just keep reading, when you show this to the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons, say, what is, what is Jesus saying who, who he is? Who does Jesus say he is? He says he is God. And the Jews understood it. That's why they wanted to kill him. And they said, they, they clearly understood. Jesus didn't clarify and say, no, 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 guys, you're making a mistake. What I mean to say is, we're one in purpose. Well, then the Jews would have dropped the rocks. But they wanted to kill him precisely because he blasphemed in their eyes. That is claimed to be God. And yeah. That's why they crucified Yes. Yeah, exactly. So this is, right. And they, they, they get upset and they say, well, don't say uh, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Say Jesus said, I am uh, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. He, to say that he said that. And he said, um, that's where he says, what I've written, I've written. <laughs> and he leaves it. Um, okay, so, so this is what, what's happening. Um, uh, so it, it continues, verse 36. Um, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So this is coming up constantly. 
The second text I want to show you here is um, John eight fifty eight. And this is another altercation that Jesus has. So the, the context here is uh, the woman is caught in adultery, uh, that Jesus forgives her uh, and says, neither do I uh, condemn you. And then he says that he is the light of the world. And he talks about the judgment that he'll have in the world. And then he talks about the truth setting you free. And he says this, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they're thinking slavery, a chains in this life. And they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He's talking about a, a spiritual freedom and slavery. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free from sin, then you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is, that is a severe indictment here. And they say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if you're Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works, of your, the works your father did. And they're thinking biological lineage. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, we have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, implying that he's not, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. That is the devil's desire. Desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because tr there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So which one of you convicts me of sin? <laughs> this is such an, an amazing argument that Jesus makes. Uh, this is not something that you and I are comfortable saying, to say, which, which one of you convicts me of sin? I, I, don't, I don't want to ask the question because you will, right? Because there's a thousand things. Um, my, my family, my friends, everybody, they can convict me of sin. And people can convict you of sin. But Jesus says it with such confidence. What do you have against me? What have I done wrong? Nothing. That is an argument only Christ can make. One who is sinless can make this. Okay, he continues... If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, listen to, to how this escalates. So this is getting worse and worse and worse. This tension is growing and growing. And the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? 
Right? Remember, the Samaritans were despised. The Jews said that they weren't even people. They weren't to be considered people. So they're saying, well, you're a Samaritan. You're, this, you're not even real. And on top of that, you're possessed by a demon. And then Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Again, this is divine language. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. But you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Um, What is Jesus doing here? He is putting himself on a level what? Above the prophets. He's putting them above the prophets. This is what the prophets depend upon, the words that they spoke. But it is, it is, he's saying, this is my word. And they say, are you greater than our father Abraham who died, the prophets? Uh, who do you make yourself out to be? Here it is. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, then I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, again, this is 4,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. Uh, how, would, how would Jesus know, know this about Abraham? And then he says... Uh, he rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham who has been dead for 4,000 years? And Jesus said to them, here's the verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Um, the it, it, this is, again, this is translated. Jesus is speaking in Hebrew, or Aramaic here, and it's written down in Greek. Uh, the Greek there is ego eimi, which is emphatic. Uh, I myself, or I am. Uh, but in Hebrew, what would he have said? Yahweh. He says, before Abraham was Yahweh, and, which is I am. Uh, remember what he told to, the, to, to Moses. Uh, who, who am I supposed to say sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. <laughs> tell them Yahweh sent you. The one who did all of the plagues, who's doing all, that's Yahweh. And what does Jesus say? That's me. I am Yahweh. <laughs> so before Abraham was, I, I am. It, it's, it doesn't even make sense. It, does, it's not, it doesn't make grammatical sense. But he's saying, I've, I am, I always have been. <laughs> Right? So this is his, uh, his claim here. What, so when Jesus says this, he is clearly claiming to be God. Now, uh, remember who he's talking to, too. He's talking to the Jews. Uh, what you don't want to do is change the context and say, oh, well, he's speaking to the Gentiles, or he's speaking to, like, the Romans, or... Um, and, and they had... They had, um, uh, what's it called? Um, not polygamy. Uh, 
Poly, they were polytheists. They had many gods. So if Jesus says he's God, then he's one of the many gods. And this fits perfectly within the system. So if it was a Hindu and he says, well, I'm, I'm God. Oh, okay, that's one of a thousand. That's fine. We're all kind of gods. But he's talking to who? To the Jews. And the, Jews, the, the Shema of the Jews, the creed of the Jews is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So when Jesus says, I am God to them, there's no other option, right? He's not one of the thousand gods, right? When he's saying, uh, I am, he's saying, I am that God. There's only one of them, and that's me. So this this is the point. He is equating himself, and he is declaring that he is God himself uh, in in the midst of this. When um, Thomas... Uh, Jesus appears to Thomas uh, after the resurrection. It's John 20 and 21. He appears to Thomas, and then Thomas says what? Thomas doubted him, uh, and then he he appears to him, put your hands in my uh, wounds and on my side, and what do you you see? Uh, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Uh, This is huge. That is a massive confession. Again, because Thomas is a Jew. There are no other gods. You shall have no other gods before my face. This, this is what the Jews believed. So when he says this to the Jews, he is saying, that's me. You have no other gods before me. I am Yahweh. This is, uh, I, I am the God. So this is an, an extremely powerful text showing that Jesus is indeed God, that he is one with the Father and that he is Yahweh. Right? There's no distinction there. Uh, and then now we have the number one text we can go to. Uh, this is John chapter 1. <clears throat> so, so John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3. Uh, That, I would say, is the best uh, text you can turn to. They're all, I mean, again, when I say best, I'm doing my best to kind of make a ranking, but they're all good. It just kind of depends who you're talking to is is the issue. Anyway, um, the Gospel of John begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then, and then uh, continues. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, sent from this word, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. But he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So he's emphasizing this. John speaks. He's an incredible man, the best preacher in the world. But he's not God. And in fact, he's talking about God. And then verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, uh, that is the Jews. But to all who did receive him, 
uh, who believed in his name, he gave the right, that is the power, to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was uh, he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So all, everything you saw before this, it, uh, the, the previous uh, uh, 17 verses are talking about the light, the life, the word, God. And then he says, it boils down and says, this is Jesus the Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he, Christ, has made him known. So this is, this is a really powerful text. Um, and the reason I'm telling you this, I'm sh- showing you this text, is because there's a lot of confusion uh, recently around this text. Um, if you have... Have you ever talked to the Jehovah's Witnesses? Yes? Have, you talked to, have they talked to you about this text? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, Rob. So it's not just only brought two by two, and then, I don't know, a couple times, I don't remember, because I just look at them briefly and throw them away, but they'll write the letters. Like, oh. oh, it was so nice talking to you, and blah, blah, and here's all this stuff, but when you talk about this text, say, oh, well, Right. Yeah. A, a good question to, to say is then, okay, well, what do, you, what do you mean by this? And just have them state it clearly to you and just deny that Jesus is God. <laughs> and, then, and then that's where you can go to these other texts. But I'll show you what they do with John 1 and why they deceive so many Christians. In fact, the majority of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses uh, are their converts are what? Just ignorant Christians, really. That, that's who's converting to them. It, it, they're, they're not going out and, and uh, really converting to anyone. It's just Christians who are just kind of deceived, especially by their niceness. Uh, that goes, especially with the Mormons. I mean, uh, think about it. Christians will have like strife in their own church, and they say, ah, oh, I kind of fell away. I haven't gone to church in a long time. Well, here come these Mormons, and they're super nice and they're incredibly generous, and, and, and they say things that sound right. They, they say that Jesus died on a cross. I, yeah, I believe that. They talk about grace. They talk about forgiveness. Oh, yeah, I believe that. And then you find out they mean totally different things by that. That the Jesus they're talking about came from a planet called Kolob. Yeah. Uh, really. That, uh, that Lucifer is the brother of Jesus. That uh, the devil wanted to save people by, uh, they, they had a council and they said, well, how do we save the world? And the devil said, well, I want to save people not by works, but by faith. And then Jesus said, well, I want to save people by works. And then his plan was accepted. <laughs> I mean, th- this is just, it's, it's totally antithetical to Christianity. The problem is, is that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons believe that they're Christians. They believe they have it right. Um, 
and they believe that this, this sort of issue with the scriptures. Um, so let me just show you this text, and I, I'm telling you this to prepare you for if you do get in a discussion with them, they're going to go to this text. And the reason I'm putting it number one is because it's the best defense for us and not for them. <laughs> their strongest text is actually their biggest weakness. Okay, so John 1, uh, the, the New World Translation, this is the D- Jehovah's Witness uh, re-translation of the Bible, the, the edited version. This is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Like this. A God, little, little g, lowercase. With the indefinite article. Not the God or anything, but the word was a God. Um, <clears throat> they, uh, in, in, the, in that same Bible, the New World Translation in Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16, they also translate this in this way. They say, he, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creatures, because by means of him, all other things were created in the heavens and on the earth, the things visible and the things invisible. All other things have been created through him and for him. What's the problem with that text? Other. Other. (laughs) That's right. They inserted the word other there. And when it's not there. Uh, So they say, so the the idea is this. So they would say, uh, here is God, the Father. His first creation is Christ. So he makes Jesus, and Jesus is super powerful, super divine, great, all all this stuff. But he's not God. Uh, And then through Christ, he uses him kind of like a a mechanism or a tool to then create everything else. So, So who's first in this creation? Or, well, yeah, the, the Father is creating, but the Son is the first creature. And so then they would say, well, this is the first fruits, or that he's the, the first one. And then now, everything else is, uh, comes after. So the angels are, come through him, the light comes through him, all this stuff. But he's number one, right? Okay, so there's a couple of things I want to get to, and I think we'll just uh, focus on this for the rest of the time. <laughs> um, so, so their, uh, their issue here, uh, what, what they're going to say, so I'm going to take this up in two parts. One is the uh, verse 1 and 2, and then I'm going to take up verse 3 about the all things were made through him. So first let's consider uh, the word was a God, that they, they would say. Um, let me prepare you for this. In the Greek... There is no indefinite article here. Or sorry, there's no article here at all. Uh, so it says in the beginning was, uh, and, and Greek does have a definite article, um, but Greek has no indefinite article. So uh, here's, here's the confusion. So when it comes to this in the Greek, there is no definite article there. It's 100% true. Right? That's what it says in the Greek. Um, but... What they, their problem is that they say, because there's no definite article there, therefore it means it's indefinite. So they insert the A. And this is kind of getting into to grammar here, but this is important. Uh, the, 
there was a guy by the name of Ernest Caldwell. Have you guys heard of Caldwell's Rule? Yes? Not you guys, but everyone else, not the pastors. Uh, okay, Caldwell's Rule, uh, coming in, into Greek. So uh, th- this guy found a pattern in the scriptures. And this is, uh, not, sorry, not just in the scriptures, but in Greek, in grammar. A- and uh, this is not a theological rule that the guy comes up with. It's just a grammatical rule. In English, uh, meaning is based on word order. So you could say, the dog ate the cat. And if you switch it around, you say the cat ate the dog, now you've changed the subject, right? So that the cat is the one doing the eating uh, rather than the dog doing the, the, the eating. Uh, so in English, we don't have this luxury to, to, change, to swap things around. Uh, things have to be in a certain order because that's how the language is. In Greek, however, meaning is not based on word order, but on the case of the word. So, which means you can have the subject at the very end of a sentence. You can have the subject after the verb in Greek. It's, it's amazing. And that case is the nominative. So you say the nominative case is now the subject of the sentence. Even though it's all the way at the end, that's the subject. And this is why Greek is hard. Because you have to look through, find the nominative case, the, the subject, and then go back and find the verbs and then piece it all together. It's hard. Um, they did this pretty easily and naturally. Um, but this is, this is the, what's happening. So then you have the nominative, the genitive, accusative, dative, things like this. Uh, well, Caldwell discovers a rule that's applying to certain uses of the Greek article uh, for the, the definite article. Um, John chapter 1, verse 49. This is in the same chapter. And this is really a, a great find on his part. He says, John chapter 1, verse 49. You could even circle this or underline it to, to point this out to them. This verse says, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. Uh, you are the king of Israel. <laughs> um, the, the Greek there doesn't have a the before the king of Israel there. So it just says, if you translate it directly, it says, you are the son of God. There's a definite article. And then um, you are king of Israel, right? Uh, the, and and this, is, this is the rule that he finds. Um, that the, it, it, he says, a definite predicative uh, or predicate nominative has the article when it follows the verb but it does not have the article when it precedes the verb. So when, the, when, it, when it's uh, um, coming before the verb, it's going to have the definite article. When it comes afterward, it doesn't need it. But it's still definite, is the point. And uh, the, the example here is uh, John chapter 1, verse 49. The reason, and everybody agrees on this translation, uh, the reason they insert the definite article there, you are the king of Israel, is because grammatically, this is the point he's making. Um, you don't, it's, it's unnecessary to have the, the definite article there. It's, a, it's assumed in there. So the verb uh, follows the noun God. So the point is this. Um, the reason, if, if you go back to John chapter 1, the reason the definite article is not there in the Greek where it says, and the word was God, um, is not because John is denying that the Son is God, but 
it's simply that the grammar doesn't need uh, the definite article there. It's, it's superfluous. It's, it's unnecessary. Um, so the, the point is that. So, uh, so it's, it's reversed. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, in, in Greek, the word God is coming first. Right? Now, it's difficult to do without seeing or, or understanding the Greek to see this. But uh, what I, what I want to point out to you is that um, they're going to bring that up and say, well, this is, uh, this is the issue. And uh, there is no definite article there. And you can respond by saying, have you heard of Caldwell's rule? And then they'll say either yes or no. <laughs> um, if they haven't, then you can kind of explain this by turning to verse 49 and saying, well, it doesn't need the definite article. It's, it's implied. Even more, if you look later in the text, what does it say in verse 14? Uh, that the only son from the father is full of grace and truth. This word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, and no one has seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. So the rest, if you just rip this out and, and try and make a grammatical point and say, see, Jesus is not God, uh, you've already done a disservice to the rest of Scripture and what it says. Um, and you're ignoring the grammar there. E, uh, yeah, sorry, let me take one question. Yeah, one thing I found effective with the Jehovah Witness um, was to go after Charles Taze Russell, who was the founder of the Jehovah Witness. So back in the early 1900s, he rewrote scripture and came out with this, uh, the the translation, the the New World Translation. Yeah. So uh, there was a a trial, a Christian pastors took him to task, and uh, during the trial, uh, the attorney said, Charles Taze Russell, read Greek. He could not read. Yet, he retranslated the Bible yeah. and not knowing Greek. So I, I've made that point to the Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, and you can look this information up. Uh, yeah. It's easy to find. Yeah. And that, that usually hits home pretty well. Yeah. It is, it is a, yeah, that's good to point out that, look, your, your leader who translates the text doesn't know what he's translating, right, right? or what he's saying. Yeah, Rob. Maybe the same man, but... The end of the world is coming in 1895, or whatever year it was, it was in the past, and then it didn't come true, and then you're supposed to believe the rest of the stuff after right. lying to you about Jesus' return, or the end days, or this is the end of everything right here. Okay, yeah. well, he missed it on that one, but okay, now the rest of it is true. <laughs> the rest of it is true. Yeah, R- real quick. Well, that's one thing I find fascinating, is that you and our son and other who have gone through the seminary, the LCMS seminaries, and have learned the Greek and the Hebrew, which is part of your curriculum, you can translate and understand what the Bible actually says. So I think that does put you up above the knowledge of the pastors who have not had the Greek and Hebrew, and they, and they say, well, this is what it says, when they really don't know. Yeah, Th- that's, that's the point. Uh, so the point I'm making here is... Usually the Jehovah's Witnesses who come to you, they don't know Greek. And you say, well, I don't know Greek either. But if you're going to talk on Greek terms and you're going to say that that's what it says, well, then I'm going to throw out this <laughs> Greek thing, that, that grammar rule that you should know if you do know Greek, 
which they won't know. Um, but it is known. Anybody who knows Greek will know, will know that. Yeah. To follow up with that, one, one thing we're to do when they come to us is give them a clear proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. And this is what we need. Mm-hmm. So we have this in our Bible, and we pull it out, and we read them scripture. The Holy Spirit works through that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the point of, right, the, the reason I went into this Caldwell's rule here is, is to show you just grammatically that this is not the case, uh, that if there is no definite article, then therefore it's indefinite. Uh, but there, there's instances where that's not the case and it's widely accepted. But the reason I'm, I'm doing this is to show you not that you can argue them into the faith, but to show the foolishness of their unbelief, uh, the, the foolishness of rejecting this, to say, look, this, this argument that you're making does not hold up on the rest of Scripture. Then you have to translate everything in that way, and the, the whole thing starts to fall apart. So anyway, that's the point. I'll close here. You're reminding me of all the funny things that I've learned but kind of forgotten. But <laughs> I think it was Jehovah's Witnesses that say, well, the 144,000. Oh, yes. Right, yes. There's the consolation price. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's the second place uh, for the rest of us. So let, let me get to this uh, last part here with the final minutes, which says, he was in the beginning with God. Well, who was at the beginning? Uh, well, it was God. In the beginning, God created the heaven. Well, if he was there with him, then okay. Then uh, this, this word, Jesus Christ, is now there at the beginning. Well, they'll say, well, he created them just shortly before. But this verse destroys it. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I, th- I would think that it's sufficient to just have the first part of the sentence. All things were made through him, period. But John goes and takes the, the pains to continue and says, well, let me clarify this even more. And without him was not a thing made that was made. Meaning, if a thing is made, then what? Jesus made it. it. Now, if Jesus is a thing that is made, then he would be the one thing that is not made. So it couldn't say all things were made through him, and anything that was made was, uh, um, uh, and without him was not anything made that was made, because he would be the exception. So 99.9% of everything that's made was made through him, except for him, right? Uh, so the, he would then, the, the scriptures would be wrong here. But the point here is that um, the, if, if a thing is made, then it was made through Christ. So then, is Christ made? No. Because uh, just through the argument itself, uh, through the words itself, if Christ is a made thing, then it, he can't stand up in this verse. But if he is an unmade thing, then everything that is made was made through the one who's unmade. So uh, the, the point here is this connection between Genesis and John 1. Uh, Genesis 1 and John 1 is so strong that in the beginning was the word. So when we go back to Genesis 1 and see in the beginning, uh, God said, what is happening there? He's creating through Christ. He's creating through the Son. Uh, so that the very words, when he says this, uh, is the, 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 the devar or, or logos. This is Christ who is creating. 
Yeah. If you were to think seriously of becoming a Jehovah's Witness, you'd also have to give up some very important, very American patriotic things because they, I believe they're the ones that won't, don't serve in the military, you don't celebrate birthdays, right. and you can't give a blood transfusion. Even if your beloved family member has the same, same type of blood, you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. There's there's a lot of other things right to to point out there, um, it, and it goes crazy the, the sort of teachings. But I, I want to get to the the heart of it is to say this is why they're not Christians, because they deny who Christ is. Uh, so uh, they, they try to claim the name Christian, but they deny who is. Things, and 